Hello, everybody. You're in the green room for Disrupt TV. It means we're looking at Chinese satellite balloons somewhere between Canada and the US. No, just kidding. <laughs> We've got better things to talk about here. Um, we get some amazing guests. I'm Ray Wong. I've got my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar, and of course, El, our amazing producer. And we'll introduce our guests in reverse order. So starting with Jennifer, where are you dialing in from? What are we talking about today? Well, I'm dialing in from Waterloo, uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, which is not too far from Toronto in Canada. And uh, we're going to be talking about stress and burnout and how to fix it and what are the big problems that we need to solve in the workforce right now. The tech cradle of Canada. Very, very cool. David, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? From London, England. Hi, everyone. Um, we're going to talk about ChatGPT is a revolutionary tool that can empower people to make changes like never before. Are we sure you're you? We'll have to figure that out. We'll find out more. Christina, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? Yes, so calling from Denver, um, and we are going to talk about how we can grow efficiently while yeah, scaling in this environment. Very, very cool. Growth mindset. All right, we're all set now. Elle, ready? On your end. Yeah, we are ready to go. Three, two, one. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the founder CEO of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray's a regular television business and tech news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC, just about every day he's on TV. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host and co-founder, Fala Afshar. And as you mentioned, he's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. And executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. But when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. I hear he might be writing a new book, but we'll find out more about that one day. So, But it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests and who we have to kick it off today. We're uh, privileged to have Christina Villavives, CEO of Cladera, joining us today, co-founder of Cladera, a London-based leading platform that combines management tools for teams with a payment platform to help companies take control of the software they use to run their businesses. Today, Cladera operates in the US, UK, and 28 other countries, and is backed by incredible companies, Athemis, Techstars, Latuna Capital, and, and others. Caldera has, was named SaaS Startup of the Year and one of the 10 hottest startups in Europe by Fintech 50. Christina was named a top five female founder in enterprise SaaS outside of the US by Melinda Gates Pivotal Ventures and Microsoft M12. Christina also won the EMEA Woman in Payments Unicorn Challenge and was featured in Forbes Spain as one of the 21 change makers of the year for the work Caldera is doing in reshaping how companies think about software. You can follow Christina on Twitter at C-R-I-S-V-I-L-A-V-I-V-E-S. Welcome, Christina, to Disrupt TV. Yes, thank you for having me, Vala and Ray. It's uh, really an honor to be in the show. 
Honor's ours. Hey, we're happy to have you. And you know, one of the most timely topics right now is really about how we grow efficiently in the environment. You're seeing everything from workforce reductions. You're seeing people optimize, try to do more with less. We're seeing a real wave of automation that's happening out there. And we're also looking at the revenue side of things. So how do you do it? How do you grow efficiently in this environment? So for us, the, the key really, it's, uh, it's around three, three things. So one is really keeping track of metrics. Right. So knowing what you're measuring, that's always what's going to, to really help the organization uh, know where it needs to go. Then the capital allocation. So once we know what we're measuring, once we know what we want to do, then how much we're going to put towards each of the different initiatives. And, uh, and then when we know that those are working, obviously double down on those ones. Um, and then there is messaging and, and positioning. So we make sure that at all times we, we are relevant right for for the market context because that keeps changing so i would say those are the the key three things that uh, especially in these environment changing environments we need to make sure that we keep close eye um as a company yeah i i, I appreciate the emphasis on measurements and data and analytics i'm assuming that the stakeholders that you partner with in terms of your clients are folks in finance folks in operations uh, IT security because of the compliance around payments mm -hmm. and finance. What type of metrics matter to these different lines of business? And, and what are the metrics that matter to you as the CEO and founder to ensure that you're you know, delivering the right value to, to your clients? Yeah, so we we tend to to measure things at uh, company level, team level, and then obviously individual level. And then the most important thing about what you measure is that the company actually is aware of it, mm. uh, because otherwise it serves no purpose. And that's one step that uh, sometimes we forget about because we know it, so we think everybody knows it. Um, so then at the company level, for example, at the moment we are very focused uh, on growth rate. I think that's always, but uh, you know, we still need to keep an eye, even though people are saying, hey, you have to be a bit more conservative, but growth is critical. We all have to keep growing. Uh, there is no excuse for that one. Uh, what we absolutely need to be much more mindful is the, is the burn multiple. So, okay, at which cost are you actually burning, uh, sorry, growing? Right. So if, if you're spending tons of money and OK, you're growing lots, but you will just never become profitable as a business that just doesn't work anymore. Um, and then uh, but why not? But why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's going to be a tough sell these days. <laughs> so so then, yes. So and then the other one that we are very focused is margin. So this this would be the the tricky things at the company at the company level, um, at the team level. Again, it depends on on each each team, but we always make sure that it aligns to whatever it is that the company as a whole wants to achieve. Uh, so then, uh, so from uh, let's say sales, we'll check obviously sales cycles, conversion rates. For uh, you know, we are growing a lot still as a company. We still want to triple this year, right? So it means we need to increase our headcount. So somebody that we are really being very mindful is the healthy of our uh, hiring funnel. Do we have enough candidates to be able to you know get that growth going? So every company really needs to understand what is the most important for us this year, so that we can then align the whole organization behind it and then have the right ways of communicating right what what is your communication strategy across the company we start everything with the budgeting cycle you could call us traditionalist but you know in the end <laughs> companies do it for a reason so so we get everybody to align on what it is that we want to achieve we communicate that at the you know very high level then we will have our quarterly alignment alignment meetings we'll have our bi-weekly meetings uh, with everybody in the company, make sure that everybody knows whether we are doing what we said we would do or whether we are not doing it. And if not, why? So we always have an opportunity to course correct mm. in real time. It's a tremendous amount of transparency, uh, alignment, trust, accountability. You're, you're dialing in from Denver, so yeah. London-based company, but obviously you, you serve clients around the globe. How often are you time-sharing across the pond and has that uh, increased more now that the society as a whole seems to be more comfortable, uh, you know, combating the pandemic? So I, so we are here or I'm in Denver because we are now making a push at growing the operations here in the U.S. Yeah. And then in terms of uh, my timeshare, well, I, I 
try to go to either Barcelona, which is where we have an office or in London, uh, every four to five weeks. Okay. Uh, so quite a lot of travel at the moment, including, you know, all the other travel that I need to do at the same time. I'm still, a, you know, I've always been a believer on in-person things. So I, even though Zoom and all these technologies are great, uh, there is nothing like being with the team in person. So it's something that since day one we've uh, we've advocated for. Um, and, you know, we have beautiful offices in all the locations. And, and I just love being with the team. So That's awesome. I'm very happy doing that travel. That's awesome. <laughs> no problem. Hey, the, the, the piece I want to ask is really about this growth mindset. Are we out of this growth mindset uh, in the sense of grow at all costs? Or have we transitioned to a different type of growth, right, as, you, as you're kind of identifying here? And I wanted to go a little bit deeper because, you know, startups have had that mentality to have a growth mindset, grow at all costs, get to scale, hit escape velocity, and then we'll deal with it, right? I mean, that was how, how all the startups were funded that way. Um, and now it looks like the environment has changed. Interest rates are up. Labor conditions are in a certain place. Valuations have come down. And let's just describe this mindset uh, a little bit more in terms of where are we and what kind of growth are investors expecting or that you're helping companies prepare for? Yeah, so this is right. So we've all been uh, in the past 10 years really gearing up for just grow, 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 grow. And it doesn't matter, you know, just keep growing <laughs> so and and that's a scary place right yep, because yep. for the first time things are changing and you know employees are like oh my goodness what's happening so everybody's getting laid, uh you know laid off from their companies and uh, they know people yeah that they've lost their jobs every week right they hear about a different company and um so obviously that's that's not a that's not a good place and for us the uh, the key you know, in making sure that we navigate this well, right? Because we have, it's a bus now, we have to grow effectively and efficiently. We cannot just throw things at the wall and see what sticks anymore. So so we, we really rely on something that you mentioned, actually, you mentioned trust, right? Trust is so important, right? You really need to build that within the organization so that when you decide to you know, hit the brakes and say, okay, this is changing now, you know that the organization can absorb it. And it can absorb it because ultimately you've been growing and creating those this value system within the organization. That's what creates this trust, which means that when you choose to start doing things differently, the organization follows you. Now, this is something that it's not something that you can do from one day to the next, but it's absolutely true that companies need to be mindful of that because otherwise in times of change, it's much harder to get people to uh, follow and adapt to those changes and then tend to look for alternative elsewhere because they start thinking, oh, this company is not the company that I, sh that I joined, so I'm gonna just go look somewhere else. But uh, actually, if you continue to be true to your core values as a business, then uh, you can retain your employees and get them to, uh, to follow you in your change journey much, much more easily. It's, uh, you know, I mentioned trust because, you know, in a software as a service um, industry and, and the subscription model, you really do have to earn the trust of your paying customer Mm -hmm. You have to earn future business. Um, so my question, what, what are some trends that, that you're seeing in the, in the subscription model space, um, especially since uh, with, with all the micro and macro level economic, uh, I'd say, uncertainties that we have experienced over the last, you know, over the last um, 12 months? I mean, 12 months ago on the show, it was all about quiet quitting and, and and the, the, the quitting revolution and all these terminologies used to talk about an employee-led market. And now, you know, in January, just in the tech, se tech sector, we're approaching over 100,000 reductions in force. So what's the impact on the subscription models and how business leaders view investing in software as a service? So something that we've observed is that so during the you know these growth years, a lot of companies started to shift towards these you know usage-based pricing models. So that was super popular. That's what investors wanted to see, and it was almost like you know the paying per seat was obsolete. Like now everything had to be usage-based. Um, turns out that when companies are 
mindful of their cost usage goes down, right? And maybe now, you know, what used to be a very good option to increase your net revenue retention now is actually uh, not the best options because it's actually declining. And what we are seeing is that people are shifting back from uh, these usage-based pricing models to, for example, per seat uh, pricing models, so more of that traditional thing that we used to see before. Oh, it's a great point, right? Pricing comes down to user base, usage base, and platforms. And it's the manipulation of those three that actually generate uh, the rate, right value ratios uh, for customers. Uh, so that that is going to be a big shift. And, and one of those areas that you do talk about and that's interesting is really, you know, what do customers do when they're not in a SaaS model? Um, are there use cases where customers should actually address this very differently? So I think all companies are in are in in SaaS or are going to go to SaaS. Now I was just reading uh, some some report from Gartner saying that you know despite all what's going on, right, that the SaaS market will still or the software market will still grow at nine point three percent this year, and will end up you know somewhere towards like nine hundred billion dollars spent on software. So it's still growing, right? So. And, Companies are still adopting, and this is this was a report I think on like uh, speaking to CIOs in companies that yes they are reducing costs, but actually they are still increasing the the software uh, spend, which means that the opportunity is still there. So I don't think we are going anywhere. We are not abandoning SaaS anytime soon. <laughs> we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and startup founders that have been guests and watched the show uh, as a successful. Uh, co-founder, CEO, what advice do you have for someone like yourself? Let's go back to 2018. It's your first company. Uh, Obviously, courage and optimism and work ethics had to be part of a first-time entrepreneur having Mm -hmm. the success you have. But is there a formula that you could share with someone who's looking up to you and wants to do exactly what Christina did, start a business and help delight customers? And let me add to that. Are there mm-hmm. things that you, if you could do all over again, that you'd say, I should never have done that. So, <laughs> Yes, yeah, sure. So two things. So one is um, talk to customers. I think you can never talk to enough customers. Like even now, uh, you know, five years in and we have, uh, you know, a big, much bigger team that when it was just me, I still try to talk to customers um every month right i i do want it because it's the only way to remain connected because it's this markets evolve right needs evolve so so you just have to still be part of that reality and not create your own within your you know the boundaries of your organization the other thing and that's relevant today right would be don't let the market be an excuse right own your destiny just because sometimes it's very easy to say oh well you know the markets are down that's why you know we are not growing I mean, come on, that's, it cannot be like that, right? So you really have to think, okay, yes, the markets are going down and the market is changing. So how can we adapt so that we can take this opportunity, right? And and I think that's that's super important. Um, and then the thing that I wouldn't do if I could <laughs> go back in time, um, I think that I wouldn't, uh, that's a hard one. <laughs> Sometimes I think I thought that I needed things ahead of time and mm. I hired for roles too early. Um, yeah. And oh, then great. that was creating a big distraction for me because I didn't quite know what I needed from that person that, you know, I hired because it was great. And, uh, and, and then it was more of a distraction and, uh, and it, it was not good for me. It was not good for the company and it was not good for the person that I mishired, let's say, because it was way too early for the business. I love that. So talk to customers, own your own destiny. I love that. That's a good mm-hmm. tweet, by the way. <laughs> and uh, don't potentially hire ahead of need. You know, make sure that, you know, the, the work, the jobs to be done are there before you hire. Great yeah. advice. Thank you, Christina. That was great. Yeah, we've got some great advice here. We're here with Christina Villavives, uh, CEO at Cladera, and uh, you can follow her on Twitter at C-R-I-S-V-I-L-A-V-I-V-E-S. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you, Christina. Take care. Awesome. That's Own your own destiny. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. No, no, and, and, and don't pre-overhire our head. I, I think I've done it a, a number of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, if, uh, there's a lot of good books on... on 
the formula to hire. It's it's hard though. It's it's I think more of an art than science. But okay, so talk about owning your own destiny, man. If you want to own your destiny for the next 10, 20, 30 years, you better know a little bit about generative AI. And uh, and, and our next guest wrote a book about it before it was a white hot topic. So talk about David being a true trailblazer. It's a futurist. David futurist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> director at Audience Strategies, an agency that helps brands use deep understanding of their audience to, to drive growth. Exactly what our past guests, our CEO said, talk to your customers so you understand their needs. David has 20 plus years of experience. Looking at David, it looks like he started when he was eight, uh, using technology to develop audience intelligence and strategies ca capabilities in creative industries. His work has changed the culture and economics of world's most prestigious entertainment and luxury brands, including EMI Music, HarperCollins Publishing, BBC, Masterclass, and Harrods, to name a few. David's, uh, David's an author of, of Prompt, a practical guide, you see it over my head, over my head, <laughs> a practical uh, guide to brand growth using chat GPT. In the book, you're going to find about 161 worked examples. So it's a really incredible, instructive book. Prompt is the ultimate guide to growing your brand through generative AI powered marketing and product strategies. And it will provide you with the knowledge and skills you need to harness the power of, again, generative AI to get ahead. You can follow David on Twitter at B-E-G-I-E-N. Uh, welcome, David, to the Shrub TV. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us during dinner time. You know, you're dialing in from London. So appreciate it's very nice. Pub time, actually. Pub time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, what better can we talk about pub time than chat GT, GPT? It's in every single chat conversation, everywhere, in every bar. Uh, but hey, you, the more important thing here is really, I want to know about your background, right? It sounds like you've got right brain, left brain. We're talking analytics and creativity. Those are two things that we haven't always put together. It's great intersection of interesting skills. But how'd you get from here, like from music industry to talking about data-driven insights? I mean, it's a it's an interesting journey. So, yeah, I think you get it by making an awful lot of mistakes along the way. So, <laughs> I'm a data nerd at heart, mathematician by training, and. I have a weird passion in life, which is like using, helping data to be very, very useful. And I think right. uh, I ended up in the creative industries, not by choice, by the way. Um, and then I realized how magical it is when you can help artists or labels or creative people to use data because they normally don't want to. They're normally quite skeptical. And so that brought me this extra kick. And the impact that the creative industries has on people's lives, like that felt special to me. So I went, I left the creative industries and thought, oh, I'll go do this again in brands. And I realized it's just not as much fun. It's not as impactful. So like creativity is where my heart is. And those hard lessons of like messing it up because you think data is the answer. And it turns out that creativity is important and finding that balance is just so much fun. That's awesome. That's, so it, it, it is remarkable. So OpenAI was founded December 2015. So it's uh, seven years old and change. Um, but it was really December of last year, actually November of last year, when the world, uh, within five days, it reached a million users. The world in November 22nd, I believe, of 2022, is when most of us really, uh, yeah, you know, uh, saw the power in, in generative AI and in Dali and others. So 2022 in general was a good year in terms of exposing the masses at this technology of creating new content. And um, so how did the idea of writing the book prompt come about? And, and what was it that allowed, allowed you to be a really, really early adopter of talking about this phenomenon? Well, I got to start by saying it was a bit of a surprise to me as well, because I've never been a particularly early adopter of technology. Yeah. That said, a lot of businesses I've worked with think I am. But I'm like a fast follower. I'll wait for something. Breaking news. David is a fast Breaking follower. <laughs> wait for something to be proven. Wait for it to be practically useful. Wait for the hype to die away. Like, and then help people to use it. So I've always pushed tech. Yeah. Always. To scale, to democratize access to data. Like, always. But I've never been at the forefront. But this new tech drops. Yeah, I played with the GPT stuff before chat GPT came out. Yeah. That's fine. Chat GPT drops, and I'm like, oh, this is different because right now, today, with no hype, like, it can change everything about how we work. So my co-author and I, who've worked together for 15 years, um, 
we played with it. We were sending each other examples. You know, you start by writing poems or um, explaining technical terms in the style of Snoop Dogg. And then eventually you're like, oh, this can help me work as well. <laughs> we all do that, right? Um, and, yep, we, and we yep, ended yep. up... Mine is Dr. Dread, but okay, yeah. There you go. After a few days, we, we had this moment and we, we, we called each other. It's like, this is not just a joke, right? This actually can change everything we've spent 20 years working really hard on. Yeah. In which case, we should stop what we're doing and just work out how to do this properly, shouldn't we? Yeah. And then our instinct is always to help other people or to share or to like democratize. So we're like, we should write a book, right? <laughs> <laughs> years of expertise in, in craft and process in, in building brands. And we just like worked really hard to work out how ChatGPT could help. We wrote it all down and, and, and we published 23rd of December so that we could have a quiet Christmas with our families. <laughs> um, I think there's a big lesson there though, which is like, if you know what you're doing, yeah. years of like messing it up and learning tough lessons, it's relatively easy to apply new tech to that. But that's if you amazing. don't, if you've got no guidance, no strategy, then you're gonna be lost. And I think that's, that's an important lesson for all technology, especially that's AI. Literally within seven years, one week, OpenAI was December 11th and you December 23rd launch your book. And, and I, I, I want you to share with us um, how you approach being on Disrupt TV and your experiment in terms of our podcast and how you could best add value to our listeners. Because I thought it was super interesting. Yeah, I, think, I think of AI as being like an electric bike for the brain. So it, it makes it quicker and you can tackle bigger problems more easily than you otherwise would have done, but you still got a pedal. So what I did was to say, all right, I need to work out what these guys are going to ask, what types of topics they talk about. So, so I'm like, how can I do that in the most leveraged way? Uh, so I pointed an AI at the, at the videos of your previous shows, and then I asked it, what type of questions do they ask? Great. And I put that into ChatGPT, along with a synopsis from the book and my career, and I said, hey, what questions might they ask me? And then also, like, what answers should I give? And I know you haven't used any of them, so thanks for that. <laughs> We want you back on the show, so so we're gonna save that for your 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 second second. No 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 no. They, we're, we're improving your LLMs by adding new data. That's, That's right. what's going on That's here. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I think one lesson I learned, like there, for example, one lesson is like you don't need to recreate the wheel on this stuff. Like, so I don't need to like listen to all the shows to work it out. Like, I can get that in my head, and I can then I don't need to work out how it applies to me, because an LLM can do that for me. What I do need to do is work out which questions make sense, which ones need rewording, and which ones need enhancing, and that's a much better use of my time than like the first draft. I like I like your, uh, you still need to pedal. So even if it's an e-bike, you still need to uh, uh, pedal. Paul Graham's uh, talked about uh, just AI in general as like a calculator for thinking and writing. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, but, but I like your, your bicycle and pedal analogy more. Go ahead, Ray. I know you're dying to ask the question. <laughs> I'm going to actually take one of the questions that were, was generated um, just so that we can actually make the LM feel good about itself. Um, but, but there's a lot of talk really about is AI taking away human creativity or is it actually improving human creativity? Um, and what is that in terms of you know, when, when do we insert a human in the process, right? Um, because a lot of times, if you don't insert a human in the process, we end up with Skynet, right? And it's like, oh, wait, what happened here? And so the human in the loop is, is intentional friction, an intentional set of controls. And so what do you suggest for that, given all the, uh, you know, experimentation you've done, the fail fast you've done, and, and of course, the lessons you've learned? I'm going to talk just about my area of expertise, um, which is building brands, understanding audiences, and then, and then working out how to do things differently to build brands. And I can tell you after 20 years of doing that, first, um, ChatGPT or LLMs or AIs like help immensely at every step. That's point number one. Immensely at every step, full stop. That's remarkable. But it doesn't know where to start. You've got to start it. You've got to tell it what the problem is. You've got to define the category or the audience or the business problem in your own words, not the client's words, by the way, because they're not right. right. In your words yeah. as a strategist. And then, you get a good answer sometimes, usually, maybe, but you need to nudge it, iterate, update your prompts, and then you need to know where to go next. Where do I elaborate? Where do I like reject the answer? Where do I enhance it with my own perspective? 
add special knowledge I have about the brand or the marketplace. You know, and so there's quite a lot of human involvement there. At the start, it's 100% human. At the end, I think it should always be 100% human. Like I own that document I sent to you. In the middle, that's where the LLM can help you quite a lot in what it does. That for me is a very firm lesson in my. So we're area. still pedaling on this e-bike, Vala. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I'll, uh, but what will the e-bike look like a decade from now? Uh, yep. You know. Yep. Uh, this company that we're talking about or this technology, you know, it's the last five to 10 years that we saw incredible processing, storage, access to hyperscalers that allowed us to create uh, models at, at a fraction of a cost. So take us, David, to uh, 2033. And, and let's take us to a, a typical marketing organization who, is, who was an early adopter of AI um, and for the 10, for 10 years, like does PR function exist? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to, you know, I, I, I always think that you're more Does like, anyone need to write press releases, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As, or web copy press release. I mean, the, the, the content that, that is still creative, but, but, you know, ultimately over time looks a lot, very similar in nature. It seems like very deterministic in its, in its, in, in its construct. But but your thoughts ten years from now, marketing and, uh, and use of use of technologies like Chat Chat GPT. Yeah, I have a very clear view on this, which is that it just enables everybody to do more, take on more, build better and more brands. Full stop. So I think yeah, many tasks that today need me to start it, manage it, and then end it won't need me in the same way in future. They won't. So I'll be freed up. Right. What do I do with that free time? Do I go sit on a beach? Or do I do it, take on extra clients and more brands and <laughs> personalize it for more countries? Because there, there's infinite possible complexity in the world. I could do 10 more brands or personalize it for different countries or different audiences or different uh, campaigns or, or strategies. And at the moment, there's so much like slightly lazy thinking like, well, we'll just do Europe and treat Europe like Europe. Right. In the future, we can personalize it for every single country. So there's infinite possible complexity and optimization and products that could be launched. We'll just do more. So that means no, it easier. Yeah, so and, and small businesses. More with less. Yeah. And small businesses, large enterprises, I mean, they're all going to be empowered, right? So I've, I've got a, a realtor friend in Austin named Philip, right? He, he's showing houses to a bunch of clients. Like he can just basically generate the whole realtor flyer, like on the fly. He doesn't have to do that anymore. Run it in through, you know, a, a GPT to do it with a large model and, and basically know exactly what words to do to target each individual, right? I mean, it's personalization at scale, right? You can take on more categories of property or more towns or um, or other businesses at the same time because he can handle more now, absolutely. I think the big problem there is if you don't buy an electric bike <laughs> or adopt it or work out how to use it, you're in big trouble, right? Because the guy next to you is suddenly like pedaling much faster. Oh, the arms race effect, yes. <laughs> you're in big trouble. And I think this is a generational challenge, which is that older people are less likely to want to do this younger people are that's incredibly empowering which means that the young intern who never had a voice at the table can now take a strategy paper to the chief executive which is very very good that's i had amazing. a business i was working with and the ceo gave a talk about how we all need to use ai now this is a multi-billion dollar business and, th and then somebody messaged me like hey the ceo's just, ceo's just given a talk about ai that you wrote that book right like how can i use it and i was like do this. And then, <laughs> she's like, I got so many brownie points for that. You would not believe. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I have a daughter who's a sophomore in a very good business school, very expensive business school. I wonder how many, yeah, you know, I, I, I won't go there, but yeah, very, let's just say I get a five series BMW every year, but I don't get to keep it. Uh, um, um, what are your th what are, do you have insights in terms of curriculum that's being taught to to these interns that are now joining the workforce in their early 20s? Are they learning about or do they have the mathematic critical thinking and even exposure to these technologies at, 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 at an early at an early uh, or, or, or not? I suppose early, but undergraduate level college university. Well, that's a good question. So I think you've got colleges who are like rejecting this, thinking it's like plagiarism. Yep. That feels yep. wonky. Yeah. Most professors I talk to, like no surprise, are saying, how can we use it? Like, how can we integrate it? Um, one of the 
one big college I'm talking to is like, can you teach a class on this? I'm like, yes, I can, but you know what? Actually, it needs to be integrated into every other class. That's the big impact. Because if wow. I don't know how to write a press release, I certainly can't use ChatGPT. If I don't know how to do a marketing strategy, I certainly can't use ChatGPT. So it should be like, learn how to do the thing and then learn how to do it quicker and better than everybody else. That's great advice. I love the fact that, well, you're going, you're, you're, you're going to be a best-selling author if you're not already on, on a white-hot technology. So invitations for, you to, <laughs> invitations for you to teach and speak is going to be... Uh, is going to be pouring down on you. Any any lessons learned going through the process of documenting 161 some odd cases? And like, did you have blind spots at the beginning of the of the, of the book that that you were able to identify and, and address in the book? What, what were some of the big takeaways? Yeah, I think yes and no. So I think um, one interesting thing is we stand by everything in the book. So totally expected that not to be the case absolutely expected to push an update out <laughs> after a week and then after a month and that hasn't happened right because because the fundamentals haven't changed which is yeah. how do i build a brand and then yeah. and how can it help me now other nuances right. to like what the best prompt is yeah definitely and yeah. other things that it can do that i didn't think it could that aren't in the book yeah definitely so we're gonna push an update out but it hasn't changed the fundamentals. I think the lesson there is start with a process in the real world, like know the job to be done, yeah. look at how it can help you, and then move on to the next one, but work out how it can help, get really good at doing that job with the tool, then move on to the next one. So master something and then expand and expand through different jobs. That's a yeah, great, that makes that's a lot of advice. sense, you know, and, and one of the other things that we're seeing is like now we're, we're operating in machine scale as humans, are there certain things we have to do differently so that we humanize this operation and we don't feel overwhelmed, which we'll talk to our next guest about later, but like, so we don't feel overwhelmed and, and completely like, you know, taken aback by like the, the immense pressure of trying to keep up with a machine. Yeah, and I think I said it earlier, but I just think we're all going to be busier. We're going to have more topics on our desk for more brands in more countries, more products. That's really stressful, actually. That's been what's happened over the last decade or two, I think. And it's so the stress levels are going to go up, you think? Yeah. Every individual task will be easier and more and and like I'm happier doing my work now. It's less stressful for me. Like it's easier, right? But I've got more. Am I happier overall? I don't know. I'm having fun. That's that, what what, That's what, a, what a delicious paradox. Yeah, you, it's it's easier, but the volume is higher. So you're not maybe shifting the source of stress from one area to another, but it still exists. There's no question that you know, as in a more in a digital first, more decentralized, hyper connected knowledge sharing economy, every stakeholder, employee, customer, partner, community is asked to do more because you have, frankly, you've had a supercomputer in your pocket. Uh, for well over 15 years now, uh, 2007. So, so um, you know, it's it's democratizing access to information to improve decision velocity. It comes with what is it? Super? It was a Spider-Man with great power comes responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Peter Parker. Yeah. So, yeah, Peter Parker's uncle was right. Uh, would you, as a CMO, let's say you're recruiting into your marketing team, and this is like a digital marketing trailblazers like you are. In the interview process, would you ask the candidate, any candidate, anywhere in marketing, have you used ChatGPT? And if they said no, would you still consider him as a candidate? Wow. Whoa. Wow. That was a definite. definite He didn't even wait a second. His head was moving because obviously he's trained to anticipate questions. (laughs) Wow. That was quick. Okay. (laughs) On one hand, I have sympathies, right? Because so a lot of my good friends and professional relationships relations have not bought the book. I I know that because I see every transaction, right? On the one hand, I have massive sympathy for people. Like we're busy, we're crazy busy, right? The economy's tough. Like we're distracted. Who's got time for a book? Okay, I get it. On one level, on another level, if you believe half of what I say, like I talked to a professor yesterday, and he was like, "This can save twenty or thirty percent of every executive's time." If you think we're even vaguely right, like even vaguely right, you should do what we did in December: stop everything and work this out. And if you don't, or if you haven't, or if you haven't shown any curiosity, I have questions. <laughs> well, hey, let's go the other direction. Chat GPT, all text, all conversation, stable diffusion. 
talking about how we actually take images, right? On the creative side, that's going to be just as exponentially like uh, oh, impactful. Yeah. Like, what do you think about stable diffusion and then the ability to actually take these those images and start cr creating the doing the creativity, right? From inpating to outpating to I don't know, generating image to image translations, like boom, yeah, metas, all the text, text, video, all of that. I mean, yeah. all stunning. This is all in the last six months. We've been seeing these. I mean, we, David probably saw it four years ago, but the rest of us. I don't know. Is that really David? Like, we don't even know. He's got this <laughs> avatar so embedded, right? I mean, <laughs> he's got pixels in the in the raster level moving around. We're like, hey. trust me, Ray is trying to replace me with some generative AI co-host, <laughs> and it's going to happen. So my days are numbered. But go ahead. <laughs> well, with three hundred and nine episodes, Never. there's enough training data. You're oh, totally. <laughs> you know what? We should just have the show run on its own now. Like, we'll just go and watch and break out some popcorn. I'll come over to your house, you know, Val, and we'll just you know, watch our own show. <laughs> Uh, 309 and almost thousand guests and have it write a book like what are the what are the leadership lessons business lessons innovation lessons actually yeah that sounds uh, a great intern it's only 60, project thousand words an average business book so we are know. looking for a summer intern to use uh, chat gpt to write our disrupt tv book anyone I, interested you can reach us on twitter book revenue to whoever helped create that <laughs> You know, I'm just saying, just saying. We're here with David Boyle, Director of Audience Strategies. You got to come back. You got to come, come back. back. You can follow him on B-E-G-L-E-N. Oh, is that I? No, it's an L. And thank you so much for being here. So Thank you, David. Thank congrats you. on the book. Really, thank congrats. That's amazing. Uh, you know, to, to, to start writing something and bring it to market, you know, at exactly at the same type of uh, at the same type time of, of the hype of, of this incredible I just want to know which publisher came out that fast for him because yeah. I don't know any publisher that yeah. quick well so. you know Ray as you know this is a show where we bring the smartest authors oh, yeah. we know on earth and this is typically the cleanup hitter spot where the guest comes and just hits a grand slam with her incredible wisdom so we're, we're delighted to have Jennifer Moss author uh, of uh, Burnout Epidemic as our, as our final guest. Jennifer is an award-winning writer, international speaker, and workplace culture strategist uh, with clients ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Jennifer's most recent book, The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It, was named 10 Best New Management Books for 2022 by Thinkers50. We've had lots of Thinkers 50 folks on our show and shortlisted for the 2021 Outstanding Works of Literature Award. Jennifer is a nationally syndicated radio columnist and freelance journalist. Jennifer writes for Harvard Business Review. Her work has appeared in CNN, Time Magazine, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post. You can follow Jennifer on Twitter at Jen, L-E-I-G-H-M-O-S-S, -S, Jen Lee Moss. Welcome, Jennifer, to Disrupt TV. I am so happy to be here. This is just so great. I've loved the last two guests. They're fascinating. Yeah, me too. <laughs> wow. I know, this, is our, this is the best time on our Friday. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, we want to talk about your book and talk about burnout. It is top of mind for everybody else. I know a lot of people that during the pandemic, they actually took the time off, right? Mm -hmm. the, it was overwhelming for them. Um, they took the time to reassess what they're doing and now they're back. But you did this research smack in the middle of the pandemic. Nobody knew how long it would last. And what did you find? Well, it's interesting because I started writing the book and I've been researching the topic for years pre-pandemic. And um, and it was interesting to, you know, to be that person that's been saying, hey, this is a real problem. We should probably pay attention to it. And then mm -hmm. in the pandemic, have this just explode. And, you know, for me, that was it was so um, helpful to be able to have a platform. And yet I always you know, felt bad about the fact that this is pandemic that's making me the most popular person in the room, you know, to come to people's conferences and have these conversations. But really, it was just these age old problems. And I've been, you know, I'm writing my new book right now. It's titled Why Work Isn't Working, which is a kind of a big topic to deal with. But what I've been saying is that we've been iterating on a flawed design. You know, we basically mm. started working in factories and then we iterated on that when we moved, you know, well, before that farming, but in the factories. And then, you know, as we industrialized and, and then as we kind of went into this technology boom and information age, we've never really stopped and said, hey, is this really working? Is this how we should be working? And the pandemic forced us to have to realize that this, you know, flawed design is 
uh, hugely impactful and negatively impactful on our mental health and well-being and, and is stressing us out. In your new book, are you extending the argument you make in your current book that the burnout is not an individual problem, but rather an organizational problem? Is, is that, is that the, are, you, are you elaborating more on that? And can you share with us what you mean? Yeah, that was a pretty provocative statement when I started yeah. discussing that you know, <laughs> self-care is not the cure for burnout. And when you look at, first, you have to look at the definition of burnout, which has been a very nebulous kind of definition for a long time. You know, it could have been kind of like a breakfast club, you know, you got a whole bunch of burnouts there. What does that mean? Or is it like, you know, the, the meme of like hanging over your desk and you see the guy with piled up you know, papers, like what is burnout? And and so when in 2019, the World Health Organization actually identified burnout as institutional or occupational stress left unmanaged, that it's not in the life experience, but it's in the workplace experience that, and they added it to their international classification of diseases at that time. Wow. So it really um, set us into this space of saying, okay, what are the root causes and why have we been tackling it in this failed way for a really long time? A lot of what we've been doing is kind of band-aid solutions. When people are optimized, that's when they can use the gym. When people are optimized, that's when they do more yoga. That's where they can listen to rain for 15 seconds and they feel really, you know, zen and it's all great. But what about all these people that are dealing with the real causes of burnout? Chronic, chronic overwork, you know, um, workload is just exponentially increased. And then, uh, you know, symptom, we, we see the symptomology and like lack of fairness and lack of justice and lack of community and values mismatch. These are all root causes of burnout that are not going to be solved with breathing and, you know, baths at the end of the night and subsidized gym memberships. And so that's where these issues have been. It's been perks versus real solutions. Hmm. Can, wow. can you can you classify at a high level? Is, is, is majority of burnout in, in, for example, salaried versus hourly wage uh, class of work? Um, um, where, what, what sectors or what type of work is more susceptible to, to burnout? Or it doesn't matter. You could find burnout in any, in any type of work or any type of compensation model. Well, in the research that I've gathered and the data that's been around for a long time, we're seeing it everywhere okay. more so. And why I, I named the book Epidemic, I feel like it can be a labeled a pandemic at this point yeah. but we saw it i mean i did research and we got gathered data from 46 different countries and they were similar qualitative and quantitative results i mean people are feeling it across you know places where we think are completely protected happiest places on earth the netherlands i mean they're burning out all over the place so wow. it's wow. kind of everywhere and in sectors there are some that are more vulnerable healthcare is highly vulnerable high production environments so those say in sales within you know technology okay. those that are uh, across that sector Nonprofits are more likely to see higher levels of burnout in their employee group. Um, and then also in high level executive leadership, which is interesting because, you know, you, you wonder if they would be um, less prone because they have tenure and, and security and, and, and financial uh, means. But they are in an isolated environment where they don't get a lot of feedback. They have to make decisions in this sandwiched role. There's a lot that play out within that very specific group. And then generationally, our millennial Gen Z workforce are the most burned out group across the board. Are they working harder? Are they being asked to work harder? Were they not prepped in a way? Like, did they not have the same training? Like, I, you always hear this, right? Like, that generation is not working as hard as the other generation. And you're like, you wonder, like, is it true or not? And then suddenly, wait, I'm in that generation. Like, how'd that happen? Right? So, 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 so the root causes in those factors, I know that you're talking about the structural and some of the other ones that are, you know, related to an industry, especially like in healthcare. Did, did some things change? Because when I talk to physicians, they're like, they used to actually train for that, right? They'd have like 90-hour work weeks, 100-hour work weeks. People be on call. And now everybody's like, oh, no, no, we're taking it easy. We're not going to go do this. I'm not interested. Is that part of it? Or is that just a misconception? Well, what the data is showing us, and it's a, it's a really interesting um, kind of research that just came out, and they were looking at how many wasted hours there are for physicians and for um, for nurses and those in healthcare 
when it comes to actually patient care versus time and in what physicians are now calling pajama hours. It's like a four to one ratio <laughs> of the time that they have to do administrative work versus time that they're actually engaging in patient care, which is really burning them out. This, this um, inefficient, when we talk about a need for improved UX and software, I mean, electronic record, um, you know, record taking and measurement and management, anyone that wants to improve that is going to see, you know, lots of value because when we look at like the scores around the UX of these ERMs, they're like a, a D minus oh, wow. and because they're too complicated and it's actually reducing patient care. There was this one hospital that actually did this, tell us everything stupid about our ERM and they had made it, you know, part of this portal on their intranet and had this openness to have all of their staff send them the most stupid things that their ERM does and people would win awards for the best suggestions and the stupidest thing that it does. Yep. And they saved almost 5,000 nursing hours just in one year and improve that patient care and reduce malpractice suits. Like all of these things that we're realizing are happening are because of so many inefficiencies. And this is across the board. Processes inside the pandemic completely shifted the way we work. I mean, we went from 4% of the global workforce to 35% of the global workforce within a month. And that's you know, that's unbelievable because basically anyone that could work remote was working remote. And so then again, it's like how we lead, how we communicate the virtual environment of, of leading and people have been caught in this crisis mode and they haven't gone back to actually learn better to be more efficient in their skill building. The way they're using technology is really slow. I, I say it's like pouring glue and already, you know, lagging wheel. And that's what, unfortunately, until we actually get people back trained on the tech that they're using, then it's just going to be this sense of pajama hours, people working at 11 o'clock at night. We call it pajama hours because it's like, it's fun work, right? I'm just catching yeah. up. I have a glass of wine. It's not really work. It's, it's just catching up. And meanwhile, you know, that becomes a kind of a 24 seven cycle. And that's a big part of why we, we are burning out. No, it's a great point in healthcare because, uh, you know, they're working for the EMR they're, and the insurance companies, not for the patients anymore. And, and that's been a lot of it. And in some healthcare institutions, we've seen these five, nine robots helping the nursing staff out doing non-patient care, like deliveries or moving, you know, moving like, you know, prescriptions around or meds and supplies. And it's, it's hopefully helping uh, with that kind of work. Sorry, Bali, go ahead. So. No, no, no. I, I, I just remember when I was, um, um, when I was early in my career and I had leadership management responsibility. And if I sensed someone didn't have the right mood or they may, they, maybe they looked tired or they were a little more agitated than, than normal. And this was at a startup environment, a blue collar, hardcore startup environment. I would like spot bonus them to make sure that they would get in a better mood or to, I, I didn't, I don't think I knew about burnout. Uh, just, you know, uh, naivete and just not being a great manager and, and being young. Uh, but, but, but I remember literally walking around just giving Amex cards and, and bonuses and just try, I thought I could maybe help burnout or, or this chronic stress with monetary surprise rewards. And when I look back, it just it was I just remind myself what an awful manager I was. But but can you tell us like leaders experience burnout, too? So how, how do we? recognize and prevent burnout, especially if you have this awesome responsibility of managing people. I don't think you were wrong. I think it's great that you are, you know, you're paying attention and just recognizing when people are feeling low. And that's a first step. I mean, empathetic leadership is is still really great. And I'm sure everyone was really happy to get a, you know, a, a filled up Amex card. And I'm sure that was great. But I think, you know, what we're realizing is that in the first time ever in history, we saw reasons why people are leaving. The attrition numbers were so high and they've actually remained oh, yeah. the same. They're still at 41% of the global workforce looking at either leaving their job or have left their job, um, planning to quit. And a lot of that is interestingly, used to be pay was always the reason why people moved. Um, and now it's 
a lack of empathy from my employer and uh, overwork as the switch for number one and number two, and then pay a third, which we've never seen before. There's just so much of that, you know, change. And when we're looking at identifying burnout because we want to make sure that our employees aren't leaving because of lack of empathy and overwork, major causes of burnout, and that's how we should be identifying. We want to look for signs like fatigue, withdrawing, someone that was an A plus awesome, passionate employee, and then suddenly they're not. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't that they're just not uh, high performing anymore. And we tend to misdiagnose performance or underperformance um, instead of actually realizing it's probably chronic stress and burnout. We need to be asking people regularly, you know, what is the workload, assessing workload, looking at the processes and inefficiencies, because we're looking and I'm just doing some work with an organization right now. What we found is work, they have trust, they have healthy relationships, mm. and they're doing really well, but burnout is extraordinarily high. And so wow. when we dug into the data, we saw workload, yes, but then when you think, okay, how do I address workload? That seems pretty like a big thing to target. We still have metrics, we still have to grow. We are under-resourced. Then we started to look into, well, it's actually process enablement and getting people through understanding process, but also helping um, to guide them post-process, coming back and making sure they know what they're doing. And also even just further upstream, asking people who are in the work, who are who use the software every day or use the technology every day, what do they need? Instead of having it siloed where development's over here and then they weren't involved in the process at all. So all of these things have to happen way before we get to the point of people hitting the wall and burning out. And that's what we need to start targeting. It's not helping people when they're already burned out, helping people at that point, giving a person that's burned out a week off, you know, to cure their burnout. It's just only sending them back to the same fire and that's not helping. And so that piece of it, recognizing that people need more than just, you know, Band-Aid and helping really get to the systems problems that are failing, that requires asking intelligent questions and asking them repeatedly and following up and probably why, and I'll just add this, the high, like the fastest growing job on LinkedIn right now is the employee experience manager. Wow, and man. I think that's yeah. really interesting is it's like, they're the ones that will look at enablement from hiring all the way through to, to onboarding and then throughout their potential career in that organization, which is really interesting. I love that. I mean, you watch pro teams, whether it's basketball or football, there's always strength and conditioning coaches, right with the assistant coaches, head coach, observing the players and helping them, you know, and I, I just don't know if managers like myself really, you know, mental health is health, you know, you know so, so it's we, just, I don't think I was trained to, to, to. But, but I think Vala, didn't we grow up in an era where it's like, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. Like you're having fun. Like, how are you going to get burned out? Like that's not, yeah, really I, I'm, a, I'm talking about when I was in my twenties at a startup and you know, we were, we talk about pajamas. I mean, I literally went to work in pajamas because I knew I was going to sleep <laughs> overnight. You know? so, but that was, that was a young, it was a young kid out of college and you know, a graduate, uh, advisor who was like a boot camp Navy SEAL type advisor. So I just, I think I entered a startup workforce conditioned to accept pain. Uh, but now when I reflect, I'm like, wow, like I really just, you know, I may have recognized an A player performing at a B level or an agitated person or someone had maybe mood fluctuations that were unexpected, but I just felt like a quick band-aid would solve, and in some instances, maybe it did, but in long term, I wasn't really helping um, create a culture where you would recognize burnout. So, so every manager should read your book, Jennifer, is what I'm saying, <laughs> because I, people, I, people assume I was a good manager and I wasn't. So I wish I had your book. Uh, I, I love what, Ray, what you said, though, about, um, you know, love what you do, never work a day in your life. You, I wrote an article for Harvard Business Review around um, how that's a myth and that, you know, I love what I do. Do am I prone to burnout? Absolutely. Because yeah. 
uh, my passion, there's really cool research on harmonious versus obsessive passion. And those that are actually startup founders tend to be married to their idea. Failure is not an option. It's sunk cost constantly, you know, and we then <laughs> like, we're just like, we can't, this is our baby. Like our attachment is, is very strange to our, you know, to the things that we're building. It's weird. And so what happens is that we don't act as our own boss, which we need to kind of level up and say, would I allow my employees to behave this way? And then we're really good though at saying, okay, well, don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. But when we model these behaviors, it's just invisible. It's invisible pressures on people. If you're answering your email, how do you think that any, you know, whatever on your weekends on vacation, how do you not assume that you're employees are going to do the same because we're modeling bad behavior. And so instead of just looking at like, oh, well, we can do it. We have to look at, can the whole organization be sustainably working if they are not taking what I call productive rest? We keep talking about breaks. You take breaks, you take time off. You're not taking time off. You're taking productive rest so that you can be more productive and be more engaged and be more inspired when you go back to work. I love that. Ray and I, we're going to have to just keep reading your book because when I text or email Ray anytime, any day, within five <laughs> minutes, he responds. So right. Ray, yeah. read Jennifer's book. Please, Jennifer, point him to the chapters he needs to see. They, they had a bet at a, at a place I worked at once that I would burn out and, and, and you know go call some helpline. And I don't know. I think I won the bet. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to read the book anyways. Yeah, we're sure. here with Jennifer Moss, author of Burnout <laughs> Epidemic. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at Jen. Lemos, L-E-I-G-H-M-O-S-S. Thank you so much for sharing your insights at this critical moment. I think everyone's going to learn a lot from there, uh, including myself. Jennifer, that was a grand <laughs> slam. Thank you so much. You're Thank awesome. You so much. You're awesome. Thank yeah. you. Wow. Wow. What an important um, data point. I don't that think that book comes with every, you know, immigrant founder. <laughs> You know, you don't see that until 10 years later and you're like, darn, I wish I'd have learned these lessons. (laughs) So as an immigrant refugee, you know, my mom and dad worked seven days a week, two jobs for 25 years. So I don't remember vacations in high school, junior high, like just parents were working seven days a week. So um, so you you do have that. You have a work ethic that 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 appreciates opportunity to have a job live live to work yeah yeah but 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 you know again as you get older you get wiser you realize that uh sometimes you got to slow down to go even faster um but the fact that she said it's no longer compensation and salary the number one reason people leave is uh burnout related you know uh not enough empathy not enough um reasonable uh you know uh, workload uh, it just means that business leaders should read read the book, read the book, and put reflect it and change, and put it into practice. Employee exchange, employee experience manager, as the hottest job. That's great. That's well, great. We're um, going to be talking about employee experiences at our conference uh, in Napa, March twenty seventh and twenty eighth, at the Ambient Experience Summit. So well, it can uh, definitely be mindful. <laughs> alleviate, uh, you know, uh, burnout at Napa. <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, that's a, a short remedy. That's not that's, like a root problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. By the way, I'm not recommending that. That was a bad joke. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, before we talk about, let me just talk about next week's episode. We have Gar Ponet, Chief Impact Officer um, at, at uh, Reply and host of Multi uh, Multiverse Podcast, Multi Universe Podcast. Miguel Gamino, who's been a guest in the past. Uh, Chief Executive Officer and Founding Partner at Simplicity. He was a a former Executive Vice President at MasterCard. The first time I met him, he was CIO of San Francisco and then CDO of New York City. So he's had some major, major assignments in the last decade or so. And Jeremy Otley, author of Idea Flow, will be our final guest for next week. It's episode 310. Ray, in one minute, could you just summarize? uh, I thought we were out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I mean, we're we're changing the, the... Every environment around us is changing. And what we're seeing right now is a focus on operational 
cost. We're focusing on growth um, with reasonable growth at, you know, at right efficiencies. And that's kind of what Christina was talking about. How do we actually do this efficiently? How do we actually put into place um, these mechanisms that allow us to grow, but not grow out of control? I think that's what investors are looking at and something very valuable there. Uh, what we learned on the ChatGPT side is, uh, you know, there's a lot of tools that are going to be out there that are actually going to improve our ability. Like we're short 11 million workers still, like even with that jobs report, which was crazy this morning, right? But that means- 500,017. I know. I was crazy. watching the experts on CNBC forecast the number right before, and it was like 180, yeah. 200, They're 210. All 300 they were way off. off. We're all 300k off, right? And so, so we're we're actually gonna have to operate on machine scale versus human scale. And and I think we're gonna see a lot of tools that are gonna pop up. And if you don't have those tools, people like, you know, people people like David are not going to be hiring you at all, right? And and that's gonna be some of the things that we see. But that also talks to the point of burnout. And so, what we've really done well is our producer has masterfully crafted this thing about where the future of work and business is heading, right? And and the question is like, how do we actually change the dynamics and the root causes? to help us get out of that burnout paradigm. And uh, I think there's a lot we can do. So a lot to learn here for leaders, trying to figure out how, how to change their environment, how to improve their workforce, and more importantly, how to improve the bottom line while doing good. So thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you, everyone. And if you can't find work that you love, do it. Uh, thank you for joining us. If it's Friday, it's just- You can tell we love our job. <laughs> we, do. we do, we love our guests. Thank we you. We love our guests too. Happy Friday, everybody. So. Bye.